Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I are honored to welcome back the voice of the Gary South Shore Railcats, Ryan Zimmerman. Ryan, thanks for joining us again. Thanks so much for having me. I always enjoy talking with you guys. Well, before we jump in to talk about baseball and stuff, is that for fans out there, what's Ryan Zimmerman got going on these days? So shortly after my contract ran with the Railcats, I received a job offer to do women's basketball on the radio for the University of Vermont. So at the end of October, I moved up to Burlington. I'm just closing in on the end of my first month up here and having an absolute blast. So I've been staying busy. I'm a little far from home, but I'm enjoying every moment of it. And uh, temperatures in Vermont right now? Uh, it's actually not that bad. It was It was actually in the 40s today. I know there's a lot of snow in the Midwest, and for whatever reason, Burlington's only had one day of actual snowfall, which is shocking to me. I think it's kind of neat to hear, you know, like you're doing basketball, women's basketball on Vermont, and Tanner Hoops, a Sioux Falls broadcaster, he's doing – go for women's and men's basketball for the University of Minnesota. So I think it's told me, and I think it says a lot for the quality of broadcasters that we have in this league that they're doing really good stuff um, along with um, providing baseball coverage. Yeah, and don't forget Carter Redeal. He does University of South Dakota women's basketball too. So you got a lot of guys who can go on and do some incredible things and a lot of guys that are doing incredible things right now. And you know, I'm really lucky to call them my colleagues. Now, have you done basketball before? This is a new thing for you. I've done it before, just not on this scale. Back in school, I did a lot of men's and women's basketball. I filled in a couple of times doing a little bit of freelance work back home when I was out of full-time broadcasting. So. Doing basketball isn't necessarily new to me. It just may have taken me a little bit of extra time to catch up to the speed of things. But now I feel like I'm at where I'm – let me uh, let me walk that back. But I feel like I'm in a good spot right now where I'm back to being comfortable with it. And now I know I can really improve from here. Uh, just going back and listening to myself a lot has really helped in the process, especially those first few games where I felt like I was lagging a little bit. But – now I feel like I'm back to where I should be, and it's only going to go up from here. I just now found it stunning that found it stunning over the weekend. You know, we're talking about women's basketball and just how bad of a deal there was in Las Vegas with the women's tournament going on out there, and how it was held and basically held in a hotel ballroom. And I read the story that like if players needed towels on the bench they were supposed to bring them down from their hotel rooms and I just thought it was horrific it was kind of like um thinking you're going on a cruise and then you end up um sleeping in the boiler room it's just just disgusting and I hope we never see anything like that happen again fully in agreement with you it's it's an absolute joke i mean these women work so hard they're in the classroom every day on the court every day they're working their behinds off to pursue their dreams and play the sport they love and and try to bridge that gap and 
stuff like that just keeps happening. I know we've made a lot of progress in recent years, and it's been really good progress, but stuff like that just proves that we still have a long way to go. It's, it's actually interesting. Uh, Indiana was our first game, and the game that was featured that went viral in that Vegas hotel ballroom was Indiana and Auburn. And knowing those guys, or knowing those ladies and well, not really knowing them, but seeing them up close and just how good they are. I've met their broadcaster. He's a really nice guy. Just to see a team that's that good have to deal with that, it's just sickening. And th these are the top teams in your sport. And you're treating them like that. What are we doing? Well, I'm curious, how are the Lady Vermont players doing so far this year? Uh, slow start to the year, but there was a really tough start to the non-conference schedule, but they bounced back, and they're currently on a three-game win streak. Uh, they just hosted their preseason tournament, the TD Bank Classic, and I'm very happy to say that they took home the title. So four and three right now. We're closing in on the end of the non-conference schedule. The conference schedule starts at the end at the end of December, and I think this team is going to really capture a lot of eyes. And I think they've got a shot at the tournament. If they can put together a really good non-conference, a really good conference schedule, they're going to have a shot. Right. Well, let's look. Let's look back a little bit here on the 2022 season with us here, Ryan. And, and let's just first of all start with your overall thoughts on how you how you saw the team performing and what you thought about the team this last year. All right. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about some American Association baseball. Ever since the season ended, I've really been missing it. But I think the improvement from game one to game 100 for the Railcats was really remarkable. Lamar Rogers is an excellent talent evaluator. I thought some of the acquisitions he brought in during the season were spectacular, and I think it really showed what he's trying to do, the brand of baseball he's trying to play, and it worked. Granted, the results weren't always there, and there was always going to be a bit of a learning curve. You have teams in our division like the Chicago Dogs, the Kane County Cougars, Milwaukee Milkmen that have been so good for – quite a few years, well, maybe not as much the Cougars because it's their second year, but you knew the pieces were there after year one, but it was always going to be an adjustment to reach that caliber of team, but the Railcats are certainly on their way. You're talking about, you know, the adjustments that Lamar had to make this season. So he comes in with a team, I guess the job a couple of months, a month before the season begins. He's got primarily Greg Taggart's guys. How did you feel that he was able to work with those guys and then integrate in players that he found available so that he got a, a team that was more alike to what he was looking to do? I think that just goes to his connections in the game and just knowing what he wants in a player, knowing what suits his style of baseball and really going after it. And I think it resulted in him having access to some players that maybe the Railcats wouldn't have had in recent years, and you're bringing in guys that that were really exciting to watch and possess a lot of skill. I'll, I'll point to one in particular that really highlights that change, and that's Sam Abbott to me. Uh, we brought him in during the Kansas City series back at the Steelyard. This was all the way back in May. A huge power guy, 
didn't necessarily work out in the White Sox organization. He's still 23 years old, and I remember Lamar talking with the front office about this and how excited he was to come and bring him in. And then on his first swing against a former major leaguer in Lewis Thorpe, he knocks one over the bullpen in right center field, goes on to break Christian Guerrero's single-season home run record and hit 20 bombs. So the fact that he can go out and get these types of players, still younger guys but have a lot of minor league experience and know what it takes to survive in a pro clubhouse, how to handle life as a minor leaguer and how to go about your business every day like a professional, it really boosted the level of play. And just watching that progression throughout the year really amazed me. And that's not to say that there weren't talented players that were here already. I mean, Michael Woodworth was our glue guy at the top of the order. Daniel Lingua was an all-star. We had a lot of excellent pitchers. Jack Eisenbarger was an all-star as well. Nick Garcia as well. So he was able to supplement the guys that he knew he could build around with a lot of these guys that spent time in minor league organizations. And I think he built a really good foundation. Now that he has a full offseason, I think he was kind of doomed from the start because Greg Taggart left so late in that process to join the Giants organization. And Lamar only had maybe two months to put a team together and work with the players that he was left with. But now that he has a full offseason, I think he, I think you're really going to see his team. And that's just going to continue on the progress that he had in year one. And the Railcats can be a really exciting bunch in 2023. From your, your spot in the, in the broadcast booth, do you feel Lamar – had a different style of managing as the season began and adjusted it as he got more of his kind of players in, or was it was it just pretty seamless? Um, Pitching-wise, yes. I think at the beginning he wanted to create an environment that was a lot more aligned with what he had experienced in affiliated baseball and the time he spent in the Houston Astros organization. But as the year went on, he adapted to his players. He started to carve out and find roles for pitchers, and those guys knew exactly what they were going to be doing when they came into the game and when they came into the game. And I think you saw a lot of guys improve that way. But in terms of the hitting, that's his bread and butter. He was a second baseman in the pros. I think he already knew what he was doing more so on that end going in, and he didn't really need to change much. Sure, he tinkered with the lineup a little bit, but what he did at the beginning of the year was the same thing he did at the end of the year. He put guys in the same spots every day, gave them the opportunity to succeed. They knew that they were going to be relied upon. They knew that they were going to get consistent A-Bs and that no matter what, he was going to have their back. And you saw a lot of guys step up and perform that way. I talked about Michael Woodworth and Daniel Lingua those were the two guys up the middle all year long, and the fact that they were able to play so many games together and have long stretches where they knew they were going to be in the lineup, you saw the results. And, and I feel like that really suited this team. You know, talking about that pitching staff for a moment, Ryan, uh, you, Lamar talked to Kevin and I when the season began about 
the the way he was going to use that staff. And if I remember correctly, I think he told us it was kind of a 10-man staff and how, how he was going to start these guys according to a philosophy that they were using in the, in the minor league system. How did you feel that the players, kind of the pitchers adjust that? Because guys get used to going on every five days. When, when you're learning this new system, were they amenable to that? Or how did you feel that they adapted to what Lamar wanted to do with that staff? Uh, I think initially it went well. I think they just ran into minor league issues. You know, uh, Leif Strom had his contract transferred to the Yankees. Guys got hurt. Guys got released. So by mid-June, he was going with a traditional five-man rotation, and I think that really worked for this team. So I think that's credit to him. Though he knew what he wanted straight away, he adapted to the situation, and guys stepped up and performed. In that staff you were talking about, they, they seem to wear down a little bit after the All-Star break. Uh, obviously, had a couple of guys that had their contracts purchased, and that's always a, a, a negative that happens to a staff. But as you, as you look at that, was it just a matter of the team kind of the arms getting a little bit tired? The two All-Stars in particular I, I, I look at just did not perform as well after that. So were they worn out a little bit, or did you feel, or just level of competition picked up? How did you view that? I I think just the amount of competition in the East Division really picked up. Uh, I know they took a lot upon themselves in the beginning of the season to really step up and perform at the level they did. And they were one of the top staffs throughout the first half of the season. But I think really other teams just got hot. You see what Cleburne did and the way that their order was able to hit against our pitchers. Uh, you see what Chicago did at times. I think they just got hot, and you know, all credit to the pitching staff. They still continue to put together good outings, but you know, sometimes things just don't go your way in this game. And the Railcats had a lot of bad luck in the months of August and, and July. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't exactly put it on them completely. Uh, obviously, you talk to the guys after the fact. I'm sure they'll tell you they wish they could have done better, and they feel like they should have done better, but. You know, give credit to the other teams, too. They stepped up when they really needed to. Now, I have to ask you one thing about this, because you, you talked about Sam Abbott setting a club record with 20 home runs. And, and I think one of the most unfair things that was said this season when that happened was, well, you know, they moved the fences in a little bit. Like, like that, that, that mark didn't really matter as much. Yeah, I, mean, I think that was kind of unfair. Your thoughts on the home run mark that he set and, and his performance hitting in that park? Look, I don't care how close the fences are to home plate. To hit 20 home runs in the steel yard is an incredible accomplishment. You're still dealing with high walls in left field. You're still dealing with lake effect. You're still dealing with the quality of pitching in this league getting better and better each and every year. So I don't buy into that at all. What Sam did was incredible. He was able to do it both at home and on the road. He hit a lot of home runs at the steel yard. I don't think it was an even 50-50 split, but I think it was really close. And he just balled out. You know, I, I, I'm not taking anything away from him. He was incredible and used the power bat that the Railcats really haven't had since Christian Guerrero. If you look at that club, uh, Daniel Lingua had a big season for you guys. Thomas Wall Raven, 
two guys that are really consistent in there. And, you know, I was asking Lamar before the season what, what it would take for one of those guys to get a good look and, and get an opportunity to get into affiliate ball. It looks like they're doing everything that's right. Are you, you surprised about uh, affiliate teams not seeing how well these guys perform in every aspect of the game? I'm sure they are, and I guarantee you they are, but I, I don't mean to be super critical of the league here, and I don't want what I say to be taken out of context, but I feel like 2021 was an anomaly in terms of how many players had their contracts purchased. A lot of things had to go right for that to happen. You know, teams were in need of players due to COVID and everything that went down in that situation. And from what I understand, the price to purchase contracts in 2021 was significantly lower than it was in 2022. So I actually think that meant that teams were paying a lot closer attention to what was going on in the American Association because when they were purchasing contracts, they wanted to make sure that they had their guy. I guarantee you that Thomas Wallave and, uh, and Daniel Lingua were on their radars, but you know, price can sometimes be a factor, and I think that really played to the league's disadvantage this year, not just on the Railcats, but on a bunch of teams. I could go down the list and give you about five to ten guys on each squad who I think should have had their contracts purchased, but you know, for one reason or another, and I think money played a lot into that, it just didn't happen. You know, guys, I think as this conversation is going on, we're hitting on a lot of different angles on how the 2022 season was different on the field. But my question would be, is, is there a renewed excitement with the fans of the Railcats that now that they're seeing a more, shall we say, a wide open sort of baseball? Are they? How much are they enjoying what they're seeing in, in at the ballpark? I think they're really enjoying it. Uh, I remember Lamar talked about this in the feature piece that the American Association did on him towards the end of the year, but he would walk around where he was in Portage. We were staying around the ballpark in Gary, and fans would stop him on the street and tell him, wow, we're really enjoying the brand of baseball that you've been playing. And I think the fans really resonated with that. They're seeing the game that perhaps they're more used to seeing, guys hitting home runs, Guys playing hard defensively, stealing bases, you know, striking hitters out. I think he just changed the approach, and the fans really took to that. Now, I think the big question is: Lamar looked like he was such a huge commodity. There were a lot of—I know a lot of minor league organizations that were looking at him as a potential manager. He didn't feel those situations were right for him. Are, are you really confident he will be your manager next year, or could you see one of these major league organizations trying to snatch him up? Well, I sure hope so. He was excellent to work with. I, I enjoyed interacting with him every single day, and I think one of the reasons that he was so successful in year one in Gary was the culture that he created. Guys loved coming to the ballpark every day. It was a really close-knit group. Sure, you had some clusters of players that would generally tend to hang out with each other outside of the steel yard, but it was a group that was loose. They were relaxed. They enjoyed being around each other, and Lamar had a lot to do with that. He always had his door open. Any player could come into his office inside the clubhouse and talk to him. You know, guys played music. They were super relaxed, playing cards after games, just really hanging out with each other. Whether they won or they lost, a lot of times I would go into the clubhouse afterwards. I, I mean, I had to. I had to deliver the stat sheets 
to both coaching staffs. But oftentimes, unless it was an extreme result on either side, if you hadn't watched the game, you wouldn't have known if the team had won or lost. Just that's how good the players, that's how good the players' atmosphere was, and that's how good of a camaraderie that Lamar created. No, fun team to watch last year. I, I think you, you mentioned fans were enjoying the fact that you got to see a more well-rounded team. With the off year and, and club not playing, then coming back for a couple of years, how, how do you feel Gary South Shore fans are embracing this team and, and getting back to normal here within the community? I think the 2022 year was really the first year that felt normal again. Granted, it is. It, it was my first. Wow, I can say was. But still, it's still starting to hit me. But it was my first year there, so I don't have too much of a background to draw from. But it just felt normal. You know, fans were coming to the ballpark, no restrictions. They knew they would come and enjoy the experience in the ways that they normally could. And you know, attendance numbers were back to what they were. And you, you go back on point streak and look at it. We're top five in the league in attendance. And I think a lot of that has a lot. I think a lot of that has to do with just the players playing a different style of baseball, a lot more exciting style, but also a lot of the work that's being done behind the scenes. You know, the front office does such an incredible job day in, day out to make sure that the game day atmosphere is what it is. And I think the fans really took to that. Um, I think we really stepped up our game promotions-wise. I thought we had some incredible promotions that drew drew fans to the ballpark. I think it's just a lot of factors and, you know, you know uh, a little bit of a separation from COVID times certainly helped with that. And when you look at things, it just, it just felt like a normal year again. And the fans really recognized that and the, and the front office stepped up their game to match that. As a younger broadcaster yourself, have you experienced anything like you experienced when Cleburne broke the league record for stolen bases in the game? And then I believe, did you guys not turn the tables on them and do the same thing down in Cleburne? Oh, we did, and that was really satisfying. And <laughs> what I talked about on broadcast throughout the year, and don't get me wrong, I have a lot of respect for Cleburne. They, they do a lot of great things down there, and you know, Brad and Seth and Briggs were an excellent broadcast crew, and they were great hosts to me. So what I'm about to say has nothing to do with the organization, but it's more so just the battles that we had throughout the year and the race for fourth place in the East Division. But, man, breaking the stolen base record back on them on their own home field was really satisfying. And what I love about it most is that of Cleaver and Steels, we did catch them twice, but in that 10-9 thriller, I think it was game five of that six-game series, the Railcats went a perfect 15 for 15. So if you want wow. to break the record one more time, just know you're going to have to be perfect because the Railcats were perfect that day. And if you break it with 16 steals and you get caught once, I'm going to put an asterisk next to it. Be perfect because we were. I like that. Outstanding. Yeah, that is pretty impressive. That, that I want to point out you were talking about fourth in attendance this year. 
you know, I mean, you know, you, you kind of think big areas like Kane County, Chicago, and Winnipeg have traditionally been drawing really good. And that, that's just awesome. I, I think that says a lot about that, that fan base that you guys have there is really something special. And I, I don't think deserves enough, gets enough credit for what you guys deserve. Well, maybe so, but we're really proud of our roots in the region. And I think we really embrace being the region's minor league team. You know, we get fans from all over, not just on the Illinois side of things. And obviously myself being a Chicagoan, I was a little naive to how deep the region ran. Even though I had two seasons doing summer ball there while I was in college, I didn't really understand it as much as I did in my one year with the Railcats. But you go anywhere in the town and they will tell you this We'll tell you something about the Railcats and how it's impacted them. You go to Portage, Valparaiso, Crown Point, what have you, and you've got Railcats fans up and down the region. One of the things that we do during the preseason is everyone in the front office, you know, from the general manager to the broadcaster to the clubhouse attendant, we're all in the community, and we're handing out pocket schedules at the beginning of the season. And I'll tell people I'm with the Railcats, and they'll say Things like, oh, man, I've had so much fun at Railcats games in the past. You guys do such a great job, and I, I can't wait to come back to games this year. And that just speaks to just not just how long we've been around, but how effective the team has been at really uniting the region. As you look into 2023, what do you think this team looks like? What, what are your thoughts about what the Railcats are going to look like in the upcoming season? Well, there's a long way to go. Uh, I think it's really too early to tell. I mean, you put the seed in my head that Lamar might not be there, and I, I pray to God that you're wrong about that because he was awesome, and I think he is the right guy for, for this team going forward. But I really can't give you a clear answer on that. Uh, it doesn't help that I don't work for the team full-time. I feel like I'm really in tune with the way things are going, but just – being in Burlington, Vermont right now, I'm not as in close communication with the front office and with the coaching staff as I was when I was in Gary, obviously. But I, that's not really something I can answer right now. Um, I think we still have a long way to go. A lot of the guys on this team may not know where their futures lie outside of baseball. There's nothing to do with their abilities, just where they are in their lives right now. But you know, it, it, there's there's still a long way to go. Opening day is mid-May. A lot of time between now and then to answer that question. You know, I, I wonder, Ryan, how you feel about Abbott with 20 home runs. Thomas Walraven had 16. You know, I, I think, fan, you know, I would assume baseball players throughout minor league systems you know, thought, well, man, if I go to Gary, I'm not really going to be able to put up big numbers. H how do you feel that those guys having huge seasons like that impacts the ability of a Lamar Rogers or even a future manager down the road to bring in guys to get more power numbers or to, to, to be a bigger bat in that lineup? I, I think you nailed it right there. I mean, those two guys proved that you can hit home runs in Gary. Obviously, it's a pitcher's ballpark. You have the high walls and left field. And granted, moving the bullpens in at the start of the 2021 season certainly helped with the home run numbers, but you know they're proving it can be done. You know, if you make adjustments to your swing, if you know how to attack pitchers the way that they did, you can hit home runs. And 
you know, one thing that's a little misleading about not being able to produce power numbers in Gary, I think this gets a little lost in the shuffle, but a big park like that plays to a lot of extra base hits. So you do see a lot of power that isn't necessarily reflected in the home run column, but also it comes up with doubles and triples. And I think that certainly comes up, just maybe isn't talked about as much. But I think you're seeing that guys can have success here. You can swing hot bats and you can have career years power-wise at a ballpark that may not historically be known for that. Now, you were talking about the culture of this team. What, one of the things I think we saw a few times this past season was so, some, uh, let's call it some feisty situations <laughs> with, with opposing teams out there. It, it looked like, you know, the Railcats came out and said, hey, we got our claws out. You must not mess with us. Yeah, and I'm not going to go too into that, but you just love to see guys really fight hard for the team that they play for and the city that they represent. So I definitely respect these guys playing hard and, you know, playing with pride. That's all I'll say on that. That's fair. Definitely fair. Now, clearly with a lot of basketball games that you're calling out there, did you get any opportunity to celebrate Thanksgiving there? I did, yeah. I had a really nice Thanksgiving celebration. My parents decided to come up and visit me, which I was really excited about, and I ended up having a really nice time. We had a Thanksgiving dinner at their hotel, and it was really nice. Uh, My parents really liked that they didn't have to cook, and the food itself was excellent, and they got to see me do my thing. That uh, That was right before a stretch of four broadcasts in three days and they got to come and watch me call a basketball game which I know they really enjoyed and I loved having them there so it just added a lot onto it that they got to watch me do what I love to do most and really pursue that dream so a chance for them to nudge fans sitting around them and go that's my son right there oh yeah (laughs) they told me they were sitting behind one of the players parents so they got to meet they got to meet them and they got that opportunity you know people talk hey which one is which one is your daughter oh actually uh my son's the broadcaster oh that's cool something like that (laughs) that is pretty cool now i i don't mean to put any pressure on here ryan or you to give away any secrets but you know it was black friday and uh, last friday and you know kevin and i could have used some things so did you shop at us at all for us I'm just getting a little curious. Oh, it's funny. I was actually working my tail off on Black Friday. Uh, To support myself here, I actually got a job at Target. So I had to take care of helping a bunch of other customers. I'm sorry you didn't quite make the list. Uh, If you had told me about what you wanted earlier, I might have been able to snack some stuff for you, but I got to put the customer first. But do you get a pretty sweet discount for working there? How does that work? All right. I get 10%, so do with that information what you will. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, look at you, man. There, There is no off switch for Ryan Zimmerman, it sounds like. Yeah, and that's exactly the way I want it. Um, I love baseball very much. It's my favorite sport to call. It's my favorite sport to watch, and I've really grown up with the game, but that's not all I want to do. You know, obviously, I've 
I've had a really nice time in Gary, and I'm excited to be, to be back next year, but I don't ever want to get pigeonholed into only being a baseball broadcaster, and that was a huge appeal to this job at University of Vermont, that I can continue to build up my profile with other sports. Uh, obviously, basketball is the main sport while I'm here, and it's a razor-thin second favorite for me behind baseball to call. But I've also gotten to do a couple other things. I filled in on an ESPN Plus broadcast for men's hockey on Friday. I was on the mic on ESPN Plus again to call a playoff soccer game in which Vermont beat UCLA, and they're now further in the tournament than they've ever been. So not only am I getting an opportunity to continue building my skills at basketball, but I get to build tape in other sports too. And I think in broadcasting, versatility is your best asset, and this job is allowing me to really show off everything that I have to offer as a broadcaster. And it's kind of neat, too, because you just switched from wearing real cat green during the summer to catamount green when you're doing Vermont sports. That was a very easy transition. Uh, (laughs) I I would always say at the end of games, uh, wrap this one up in green and white. I, I didn't have to change that too much. Now it's wrap this one up in green and gold. So what's it like to switch from basketball to hockey? Any kind of difference in terms of how you, your style of broadcasting? I have to go a lot faster, obviously. I don't have as much time for storytelling because the breaks in between action plays are so short. But I was actually talking about this to the SID for the women's basketball team. I did a hockey game on Friday and then basketball on Saturday. And when I was calling the basketball game on Saturday, I was telling him during a break that it felt like the basketball game was moving in slow motion. Just being able to catch up to the speed of it, I think, takes my biggest priority, and I'll storytell whenever I can, and it's something that I absolutely want to focus on in every broadcast I do. I think I actually talked about this in the first interview I did with you guys, that every broadcast I want to answer the question of why does this matter Uh, It's a little harder to do in hockey and basketball, but I feel like I'm doing that just not as frequently as I am in baseball because it's so much downtime. Granted, that's going to change next year, but that's just what I've been seeing at least from baseball to basketball. I imagine that's got to be tough to do a basketball game where you've got, what, maybe eight to ten players on each team that will actually be in the game to – having to memorize numbers for 18 skaters on each side. And they're not exactly ever standing still. I imagine, because I hear with broadcasters, they do have to study the rosters and get a good feel for who's wearing what number on both teams. Yeah, and a way for me to really help out with that is I watch a lot of films. I'll try to just use slight indicators to let me know who's on the puck or who has the basketball. Like, for example, if a player's wearing red shoes, then that might click. You know, if I can do some sort of alliteration trick, maybe that works too. But for me, it's all about just putting my eyes to the team first and being able to associate a name with a number and sometimes a face, not necessarily in hockey, but in basketball, definitely, so that when it comes time to call the game, I'm not looking down at my sheet as much, and I'm not missing action. Hey, you know, if you ever need a color guy and can afford to fly him out east, um, Rob's got plenty of experience doing color for hockey, so 
he could be your color guy. I'd appreciate that very much. Uh, I don't know how many more opportunities I'm going to get. Uh, usually it's fill-in work whenever the university needs me to, and I'll always be on that. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, I might have to pony up a couple bucks, get you out here, just so I can give myself a little break. And obviously, Rob, I trust that you know what you're doing. You've been covering hockey for a long time. So, you know, we'll see if that works out. Uh, I appreciate that, Ryan. And, I, and I'm I'm curious with the World Cup going on right now, are we going to see you calling World Cup games one day? Man, I hope so. Uh, soccer was the main sport I played growing up, and my dad was a college goalie himself. I played goalie all throughout high school, so I've always loved the sport. So that, that's, that's a dream for me. It's not my only dream. I want to be doing as many sports as I can at the highest level in due time, but Soccer is definitely one of them. Well, then who's going to win the World Cup? Since we, now we know you're a soccer guy. That's a good question. Uh, there's a lot of clear favorites, Brazil, France, Spain, at least through two group stage games. Those are the ones that are standing out to me. I'll go with Brazil. I think they're the most informed team right now. And I think they're the most well-rounded. I'll give props to Portugal as well as a Manchester United fan. I love me some Bruno Fernandes, but hard for me to pick against Brazil. And they have Casemiro too, so I can I can justify it. Wow, Manchester United. So were you happy to see Ronaldo allowed to head to uh, to Saudi Arabia to play, or disappointed by that move? I think it was the best decision for both parties. Okay. Obviously, it's tough to see a club legend go, but it was time. I wish it were America and not Saudi Arabia, but you know you can't argue with two hundred twenty-five million dollars. <laughs> no, no, you can't. That's sure the truth. Well, Ryan, we appreciate you joining us here with us, but uh, you know you're 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 a second-time guy, so I know you got a great final thought for us. So we'll we'll send you out to give us your final thought for today, sir. Well, for my final thought, I want to thank you guys. Uh, you and Kevin do such a great job covering this league, and I know you put your heart and soul into it. And I want to express my appreciation for you two. It's stuff like this that make my job in the American Association and with the Railcats worth it. You know, that you pay attention to everything, and you're always on top of your stuff. Uh, it really does mean a lot. So so thank you guys. Well, thanks, I appreciate Ryan that. Zimmer Thank you, Ryan, for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. Well, Kevin, great to see Ryan Zimmerman back with us here tonight, and sounds like uh, he's pretty excited about next year's team. No doubt about it. I think there's a lot to be excited for, you know, and as we were talking about broadcasters in the league making an impact um, outside of baseball, we were talking about women's basketball. We can't forget um, – our good friend Jack Michaels um, also does um, North Dakota women's basketball. So uh, just another example of guys making their impact in other sports outside of baseball. Absolutely. you got Sam Reef down there in Australia now doing uh, Australian baseball. And, of course, our good buddy Dan Vaughn down getting prepped for January and uh, heading to Perth. And um, Brad Albert, is he, is he still doing wrestling out there somewhere? Do we know that? I don't know how involved he is. I mean, obviously, we'll hope to have him on for our annual Christmas with the All Reds um, episode. But I know he's doing 
a lot of the local high school broadcasting down there, but I'm not sure if the wrestling promotion down there is going strong or or as at what extent his involvement is with it currently. Well, let's look back on the railroad uh, rail, railroaders railcat season here with me, Kevin, for a moment. And um, you know, as we talked about, Lamar comes in late after. Uh, Greg Taggart gets a job in the Giants organization, and we weren't really knowing what we could expect out of Lamar, but you got to admit, this, this team battled hard, and for about three and a half months, they were one of the best pitching staffs in the league. It was a very different year because, frankly, and, you know, for us, I not like being in the hub of any – of the markets in the league, it's tough for us to really get a good feel of some of these teams just by watching their games on American Association Baseball TV. And I got to say, I'm guilty. I did not watch as much of the Railcats as I should have. But I think the the vibe, with all due respect to Greg Taggart, it, just, it wasn't an exciting product that the real cats had as far as sitting down and watching a ball game. It certainly got results. I mean, you can't argue Taggart has won championships, but it just wasn't um, entertaining baseball. And I still think, you know, as a fan, along with doing this with you, um, it's tough to get that out of your head and say, hey, you know what, this is a different team. It's a more exciting team. It's a team that uh, makes the association what it is. And, you know, I hope as as we go along here that I, I will do my best to watch this ball club more than I have in the past because, obviously, um, the, the franchise is looking to turn the corner and be a exciting brand of baseball and make it um, an entertaining product. Yeah, I, I think one of the disappointing things for this team this season was we, we talked early on about how great this pitching staff was. They were second in ERA till late July, I believe it was, and the hitting just was not materializing for them. And you and I talked about what impact that may have on, on the pitching staff. Unfortunately, the, the hitting finally started to come around. They had a, a, quite a few guys here that hit 270 or better, but that pitching staff, I think, wore down having to win three-to-one games um, because they just weren't getting any offense out there. And um, hopefully now that Lamar's got a chance to spend an offseason building this team, that he can get the right combination of guys to ensure that not one side of the team has to be, you know, carrying the club for the rest of the for the rest of the team out there. I think you really have to be excited if you're a Real Cats fan, because even with what Rodgers had to work with this year, a lot of the season, they were in a playoff position. And as we saw in the playoffs, when you're playing a short series, all you need is just a, just a chance, and all you got to do is win two out of three games. So so I think um, Rodgers has got a good thing going with the Railcats, and I'm excited to see what he will bring to the table in 2023. That, that 20 home runs by Sam Abbott, club record you and i are used to trying to figure out if somebody will hit double digits of home runs to lead the club uh, and then you have thomas Walraven right behind him at 16 you know I, I, my my reason for asking ryan about this is i i gotta believe that 
this becomes a, something that that Lamar takes out on the road and says, "Hey, look, come playing Gary. You can hit home runs here." And I could we see uh, could this team cl- eclipse a hundred home runs? Ninety two this season, Kevin. Are they, are they going to be a hundred home run team next year? It's very possible. I think the I think the word of mouth goes a long way as far as bringing guys into the fold of the American Association, and I think that. Granted, um, Abbott didn't have a great batting average, but um, you know it's almost like Rob Deere. Like, and we know Rob Deere had a pretty decent major league baseball career just by running into a ball every so often and driving it out of the ballpark. So, word gets around, and maybe more guys come in that are no longer um, stifled by the thought of um, having their home run balls either land in a cavernous outfielder get blown in back in by Lake Michigan. Well, Kevin and I need to fill some space here, and there was only one transaction during the week, and Chicago signs right-handed pitcher Kenny Sirwa. So we're going to have to have a say a lot about Kenny just because we've got to fill some airspace out there, I guess. So I wound up being just uh, one year last year with the Pioneer League, uh, playing with Billings where he was 5-2 and two with a – Three point, excuse me, a two point four four ERA in ten appearances. So, great things we're expecting out of Kennedy there in Chicago. Is he's uh, do, do we know what his whip? Do we know what his whip and his spin rate is, and and what he is on top of that um, for his fastball? And I feel bad. I should have looked those kinds of things up since he needed to fill some time here today. So I do know no, that he no, went to no, Southern no. Illinois. And they are the what? The Southern Illinois. So Southern Illinois Edwards. I'm going to guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. The Cougars. The Cougars. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Ronan. I'm sorry, Ronan. They are? Why was I thinking the Salukis? (laughs) No, that would not have been it. And you know what? I'm going to give you another chance here because it looks like he spent – I, I, one season at at Saint so one season at Saint Joseph's and finished out at Central Florida. So can we go Saint Joseph's, Indiana? What what do we think they were? The Jules. Let's go with it because they don't they, on Baseball Reference they don't have it. I'm assuming Central Florida is UCF. Uh, so I don't know if that's yeah. true or not. Let's find out. Yes. Okay. So that would have been the Knights or something. I think they are. Yeah. I think the okay. Bulls. Uh, no, I think Central Florida is the Knights. I think that's true. That's so true. I'm gonna, and it is Central Florida is the Knights. So there we go. All right, congratulations, uh, Kenny. We hope you're n- gonna do great things out there in Chicago. Playing for a great man. Wait, wait a minute. You. you said did you, did you say Southern Illinois? Southern Illinois Edwardsville. Oh, there you go. Southern <laughs> Illinois, just the regular Southern Illinois, is the Salukis. The Salukis. What the heck is a Saluki? Oh, you don't know who the Salukis are? I mean, everyone knows. <laughs> no. The... No, I have no idea. No. And not afraid to admit, don't have a clue. They're not, not the slightest idea who that is. So, well, I don't think we have any other... Like, uh, looks like kind of like a wolf. Or a, a, a kind of a hybrid between like a... Like a Chesapeake Labrador dog and a wolf. So who knows? 
And I won't uh, attempt to spell Saluki either. I'm a pretty good speller, but I have no idea where to even begin with that. So uh, F, that's where I'm going to start. I'll leave it at that. Okay, this is, this uh, is straight from the university. At SIU, the Saluki, maybe that's a combination of the letters SIU, Saluki, is a collective spirit that defines our culture in our hometown and in the hearts of our proud alumni. Oh, and a Saluki is a dog, too. Okay, I'm glad they added that second part because that first part was, no offense there, Southern Illinois, but that was just a bunch of words that really meant nothing. So That was word salad. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I want to say, Kevin, I appreciate you throwing this segment in here because now we have something that filled the airtime. So, ready to go. Kevin Luco there. Always comes up with good topics. Let's, uh, that's, why I'm the, let, that's why I'm the beast in the business. That's right. That's exactly right. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on around the rest of uh, independent baseball. Windy City granted the 2023 All-Star Game, uh, so that should be exciting. So Ozinga Field is where that will be at for next year. Kevin and I will not be there. I, I think that's safe to say that. Um, let's see what else we got here. The Crushers named uh, a new pitching coach, and so did Washington, so we'll have to bring back Tom Bates to tell us about – man, I, does that mean Alex Boshier is not going back? Maybe that's a misprint. they they, they got to have Alex there. That's just the way that that is. So uh, the Atlantic League names are is providing their schedule, comes out with that this year, uh, the third independent league to name theirs after Frontier League and American Association had their uh, their schedules come out. And – I'm trying to see if there's anything that leaps out to me, other than this is the 25th season of Atlantic League Baseball, Kevin. So um, do we have any – does Kevin Luco have any 25-year highlights of uh, Atlantic League Baseball that, that ever struck your fancy at all? Uh, not specifically. I just remember it um, back in the old Baseball America days. It was – to me it was pretty interesting to go in – and look at the rosters and the stats for these teams and just seeing all the former major leaguers that were inhabiting the rosters. And in a way, the Atlantic League, with their roster rules where there was pretty much no salary cap, they could have as many veterans as they want. And what that did was when they came in and um, got a foothold, it hurt the Northern League at the time because, you know, uh, you weren't, you're no longer getting guys like a Leon Durham or a Pedro Guerrero in the league because these guys were staying on the East Coast where the cash was, and frankly, the Atlantic League was getting scouted a lot better than the other independent leagues. So, But that, um, I believe, has evened out uh, quite a bit where, I think the quality of play is pretty similar from the American Association to the Atlantic League. You know, uh, touching on the uh, Frontier League All-Star game, I wish they could have timed that a little differently. It's going to be on a Wednesday, and, you know, my thought was, if you want to draw scouts, the American Association All-Star game, wherever it may be, is scheduled a week before on a Tuesday. Now, how neat would that be if the Association All-Star Game was also in the Chicago area and a scout could watch the American Association All-Star Game on a Tuesday and then go to the Frontier League All-Star Game on a Wednesday 
and be in the same area, not having to take a separate plane flight or anything. So I wish that would have worked out a little better as far as uh, being accessible to scouts in an easier fashion. You know, Kevin, that that's a great suggestion. So I'm going to ask you this. Do you believe that could tell you something about where the American Association All-Star Game will be next year, that it will not be in Milwaukee, Chicago, Gary kind of area? Could that possibly be what we can read out of that? No, no, not at all. I, no, okay. I don't give But I think in the future, I mean, who knows, maybe in the future – you could see uh, Amer- American Association slash Frontier League All Star Game being held. I thought I think that would be a very interesting proposition. I think so too. I think that would be a very fun game for sure, especially if if you went with twenty man roster, twenty five man rosters, or something like that. Because you know each team could have a couple of representatives, and and uh, I think that would make for a great game. That would be a fun game for sure, especially if it was in some but spot yeah, that's near a bunch of teams. Yeah, that's the thing. I would like to see it more in the Midwest so that fans from both leagues could get to the game. I mean, they used to they they used to have over Can Am League and the American Association would play each other. But like one year, the the games um, out in Ottawa. Well, how many American Association fans are going to bother making a trip all the way out there just for an All Star game? But if it's only about an hour or two drive, it would. I think it'd be a good draw. Well, we were on our way, Kevin, but, you know, our team bus broke down and we didn't make it that far, so we were out. Uh, Atlantic League beginning their season on April 28th, which I believe is almost exactly three weeks before the American Association will get underway. So they get a little bit of a head start, which we're used to seeing there, and uh, um, kind of gives them an, an opportunity to, to uh, draw in some players that want to get started a little earlier. They will finish on the... 10th of September, and then begin playoff time. So look forward to that for sure. That should be fun. I think that that is all we have in Atlantic League Baseball, I believe. I'm going to check one little thing here, just make sure I didn't miss some important information. And no, I did not. That that is uh, all in terms of what the Atlantic has going on. If we want to mention that a farmer, barnstormer, Sawyer signed with uh, the Cardinals, okay, I threw that out there too. So, okay, congratulations to him. And I think that is all that we have going on around independent baseball out there, Kevin. So always our fun part of, part of the show. The Kevin Luco, final thought. The final thought for the week, uh, I'm sorry if this is going to sound like Kevin being a mark for himself, but um, we were talking about this before the show, so it won't be any surprise to Rob. Our, and a lot of businesses have had a real tough go of it. Um, due to COVID and the fact that people aren't going out to eat, they're not going out to restaurants, they're not doing things like bowling like they used to. And it's put a strain on a lot of businesses to try to make it a go of it. But our local bowling alley is struggling, and frankly, to close this down, we're going to have to drive 15, 20 minutes just to be able to go bowling. So what I've done is I have started a blog where I will advertise for the bowling league, all the bowling leagues in my hometown, and feature the bowlers and give bowlers a chance to see their name in print in my blog. And 
hopefully drum up enough interest to get more people out bowling, get more people patronizing the restaurant to hopefully keep the business afloat and keep it a part of uh, my hometown. And you know what? I recommend for everybody in their respective hometowns too to think, think deep and hard about the businesses that have been able to fight through COVID and are trying to stay open that don't have um, corporate backing to keep them in business. Keep them in mind if you're looking for a place to go to lunch. Think about your local bar, restaurant, slash bowl and alley. If you're looking for a place for to have a holiday party, a, a birthday party, or just some friends out for a night out, or somewhere to go for a breakfast on a Sunday morning that's not like a Perkins or a Baker Square or whatever the trendy breakfast places nowadays. Let's try to keep all these mom-and-pop places in business because there's a lot of really good people that have stuck their necks out of the line and fought through a somewhat um, overly restrictive um, restrictions in during COVID-19 to, to stay open and, and serve us. So let's Let's try to help our fellow people out and keep as many of these small businesses going as we can. You know, Kevin, I want to tell you what a, a good final thought that is in, in the fact that sometimes, a lot of times, those smaller kind of out-of-the-way diners and things like that, man, food is absolutely spectacular and at a price that is far more affordable than if you went out to Applebee's or Red Lobster or wherever, you know, uh, like there was a spot that we went to in Albany, Illinois, one time a few years ago that they had the best fried chicken that I I think I've ever had. It was it was phenomenal. It was like six dollars, and that plate was filled with fried chicken. It was crazy. Six dollars, <laughs> man! This is the place to go. So, uh, you know, go out there and support local people like Kevin saying because they are. Uh, you know, we want to see them thrive too and see the your community thrive. So. You know, they're the heartbeat of our nation, and we had to look at it, it's like these places are like, think of it as belonging to a club without having to pay the membership dues, but just make it make that your place to go to and get your friends out and, and just um, help these good people along because, boy, if we didn't have them, I really, I really fear for what... Um, for what would our nation would become. So, yeah, I think that's all I've got for this week. I'm liking it a lot. Liking that. Well, Kevin and I once again want to thank Ryan Zimmerman for joining us this week. Next week we'll be back to talk a little Milwaukee Milkman baseball with the um, woman who is in charge of uh, host families out there. So, uh, Tammy will be joining us next week, and I'm, I'm not going to say her name at the moment because I know that I'm going to say this incorrectly. So I think that it is uh, Sikarski. Am I saying that correct? Do we know? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Sikarski or Sikarski. Okay. Well, we're going to find out that for sure. That, so, Tammy, I'm sorry. That's the Tune in next week to find out her pronunciation of her last name. <laughs> yes, it will. That would be fantastic. So for Kevin Luco, I'm Rob Finier. We will see you next time on This Week in the Association.